0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. It's great to see all of you here today. I uh, appreciate it. We've had, um, man, it's, it's, time has flown by. We, uh, last weekend... We had a memorial service and uh, an evangelistic service. And uh, between the two days, uh, pretty confident we had at least 18 people indicate that they prayed to receive Christ as Savior. Praise Praise the Lord, huh? So that's that's encouraging. And uh, so God is at work. And uh, he's gonna continue to do that here today as we worship him and open up our hearts and minds to him. Well, in the beginning, God, created the heavens and the earth. And and the story begins. Uh, The story of of the history of the world and of our lives begins. And and right there, it isn't very long before those first human beings that God created sinned against him. Willfully chose to disobey him. And as a result, all of the curse of sin came into the world. All of the uh, the sickness and the pain and the corruption and all that's in the world came into the world because, really because the one God had entrusted the world to opened it up to it. And it put human beings in a really bad place. It, it, it caused us, us to be born, every one of us, Adam and Eve and us, but to be born spiritually dead to God. We can know he's there, but there's this part of us that just is deadened. And we're in need of of the life of God and the forgiveness of God. And so right there, this is like uh, probably 6,000 years ago, God promises Adam and Eve and all of us that he's going to send a Savior. He's going to send someone into the world himself to fix this problem. And so in Genesis chapter three, he says these words, he's talking to the serpent, and the serpent here represents Satan. I believe Satan was actually in the serpent, okay? And so he's talking to him and he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now there was this conflict. And between your seed and her seed. Now it's up there. you notice the second one is capitalized, right? Now that's a, that's a determination by the translators that that seed, and by the way, the word seed here refers to descendants. Okay? And so it says that one seed is going to be the promised Savior who would come. That's going to be who we know as Jesus Christ, okay? So 4,000 years before Christ is born, we have this promise that that it's gonna be a, a problem between your seed, Satan, those who follow you, and her seed, Jesus. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And the idea is that the snake bites, right? And bites at the heel. Okay, and, and Jesus would be crucified on the cross and one of the places they put the nails were through the heel. And yet in the process of that happening, we get this picture. Here's the snake, it has bitten and the person he's bitten goes. Right, okay. And, and so that's the prophecy, 4,000 years. A promise from God that I am going to send you a savior, someone to deal with this problem. Now, the book of Genesis is a very condensed book, okay? It covers about 2,200 years of history, okay? And so we go another 1,900 years forward. And during this time, we have the great flood. We have the Tower of Babel, the beginning of all the human languages spread out around the world. And we come to a man named Abraham, whom God... Calls and enters into a relationship with him and he gives him promises about the land that he has brought him to, which is the land of, what would become the land of Israel. And he brought him there and he talked to him on a number of occasions talking about what he was going to do. Uh, But with respect to this promise of a savior, because we're 1,900 years later and where is this savior, right? 1,900 years is a long time. It really is. Okay, and so where is this promise? And well, God promises Abraham, you're gonna have a son, it's gonna be miraculous, but through him, some, God is gonna do something. And so in Genesis chapter 22, this is after God has done a really great work in Abraham's life, showing him uh, the idea of a substitutionary sacrifice like Jesus would be. He says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So 1900 years, he says, okay, your descendant, he's coming. This one who's going to be the blessing, this one who's going to be the solution, he's coming. He is still coming. Now, we're we're gonna uh, fast forward about another 400 years. Uh, And one of Abraham's descendants, Jacob, who God renames Israel, okay? And so that's where all the, the Israelites come from. That's where the nation of Israel comes from. But Jacob... Uh, is is that man and he's talking to his sons and about his sons and what God is going to do. Uh, He's getting ready to pass off the scene himself and he's in essence sort of prophesying over his sons and what's going to happen. And he talks about his son Judah. And so here it is in chapter 49 he says this, he says the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now a scepter represents what? Who has a scepter? A A king has a scepter, that's right. He says the scepter, the king, will not depart from Judah. And by the way, they didn't even have a king yet. So his prophecy: there's gonna be a king that's gonna come from Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means tranquility or peace. So until the king of peace comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And so people then will look to him because why? He is the Lord, he is God. The people obey him. And so God, once again, promising after hundreds of years. Now, this brings us down, if we go down about another 400 years to um, an incident that's really interesting in the Bible, a man named Balaam, who was not a Jewish person, and um, he was actually a pagan, kind of a pagan preacher, pagan prophet, he would prophesy and and say things, blessings and curses for money. And God determined to use this man, and God puts God's words in his mouth. And he tries to say bad things about Israel, but he can't. Every time he opens his mouth to talk about Israel, he says good things. It's really an interesting story. Um, But one of the things that he says uh, about God's people, he says this, I see him but not now, notice he's not here yet. I behold him, but not near, so it's still far off. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, okay? A star, now that's interesting, okay? Because this is this, the pagan guy, but God has put his words in his mouth, causing him to speak uh, these words. And somehow, way, these words not only end up recorded in our Bible, and I don't know if it was the scriptures or if it was written elsewhere, but many, many years later, uh, probably about 1400 years later, there are wise men who are studying all sorts of ancient documents, studying some of the Hebrew scriptures, studying other documents and all this, and they run across this passage, and all of a sudden, something clicks, something that they are seeing in, the, in space as they look up at the night sky, and this passage of Scripture. In fact, so much so that they believed that a king was coming to Jacob, who was whom? Israel. A king is coming there, and his star has risen. And so, uh, this is what they say when they show up in Jerusalem. Go ahead, if you would to the next slide. Oh, there we go, thank you. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him, right? So, once again, but God is affirming, even through this pagan man, the Savior is coming. He is coming. Now, we we move on down about another 400 years to the time of King David, the the king that we, you know, who wrote so many of the Psalms and is so well known by so many people. And and the Lord is talking to him, and uh, David's getting down toward the end of his life, and God sort of uh, reaffirms and elaborates on this covenant promise that he'd given Abraham way back in the beginning. And, And it has to do, again, with this king who was coming, this king who would be the savior, who is coming? And he says this to David in 2 Samuel. He says, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, how can someone be on a throne forever unless what? You're God. All right? And so he's telling him this, this king is still coming. He is coming. He will be established. His throne will be set up, and it will be an eternal throne. Now, another 200 years, we come to the prophet Isaiah, and God reveals so many things to Isaiah about this coming Savior and the Messiah, same, same person. He talks to us about how he's going to suffer and die for our sins and and what his kingdom is gonna be like when he finally sets his kingdom up on earth, But, but he includes this prophecy from the Lord, the Lord speaking again through Isaiah, and he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. and Emmanuel means God with us. That's right. And so God, once again, reaffirming this prophecy. It's been hundreds of years again. We're still waiting. When is the Savior coming? Now, if somebody tells you, hey, I'm coming to visit you, and may they don't give you a specific time, and you kind of have some expectations about it, and you wait, and they don't show, and they don't show, and they don't show, and they don't show. What do you start to think? They're, They're not coming. Wouldn't it be natural for the people that these promises were given to to start to think, is he really coming? But so God, again and again, you know, sometimes hundreds of years, He He comes in and says, Yes, He's coming. Now, this time He doesn't wait hundreds of years, it's about thirty years. 30 years later and the prophet Micah is, is, is speaking and God speaks through him and gives us some information about this coming Messiah. And it says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, identifying the Bethlehem that's just outside of Jerusalem. And you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from of everlasting this one that I've promised you is coming. He is going to be the ruler. He is going to be the king, referring back to the scepter, right? He is going to be the king, and um, I want to tell you something about him. His goings are from of old, from everlasting. Now, what does that tell us? This promised one is going to be God. God himself is going to come. Uh, Then we we move forward about another 200 years, 250 years to Daniel, who we have looked at his story just recently here. Daniel, uh, lots of prophecies about when the Messiah is going to come and how this is going to work and all sorts of other prophecies related to the world. But he specifically says something about this promised one who's coming. Daniel chapter 9, he calls him Messiah the Prince. And he says that he shall be cut off but not for himself. And this idea of cut off means he's going to be killed. He is going to be put to death. And so this one that I have promised is coming. He's going, he's going to die. Well, wait a minute, that's not part of our thought process, right? You're sending a savior, you're sending a king who's going to rule forever. And now you're saying he's going to die. Yes, he is going to die, but he's not going to die for himself. Who's he going to die for? me and for you and for this world that has been, as we saw from the beginning, so hurt by sin, so damaged by sin, lost, separated from God, headed for an eternity of condemnation, right? But no, this, this Messiah is going to come and die, but not for himself, but for the sins of the whole world. And so, years and years and years, all these promises and it is another, more than 500 more years and he still has not come. All of these years, all of these promises, all of these prophecies. 4,000 years, that's a long time. God kept saying, I'm gonna do it, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna do it and it's gonna be like he kept promising and finally, it happened. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Amen. And that's what we're celebrating this week. Now, whenever a child is born into a family, it changes that family, doesn't it? It's, how many you remember? How did, did your life change when your first kid came into the family? Yeah, all of a sudden your life just, is just really different. <laughs> right? I mean, everything, you have this, with this great degree of regularity, the life becomes about taking care of this child, right? So children come into the world and they, they change that family uh, and, and the people, and of course, as they grow up, there's a ripple effect of their lives and they have an impact on the world. But man, no child has ever impacted the world like Jesus, the Son of God. I mean, all of that stuff we just talked about was true for them. Impact in that way. But the very fact that we're talking about the date is 2018 is because of the birth of Christ, right? I know they're trying to change how they talk about that, but the reality is the date was changed because of the birth of Christ. 2018, in the year of our Lord. He has, uh, think, how many people today have their sins forgiven because of him, right? Who have eternal life, who have his presence within and growing and healing and, and, and uh, uh, enabling people to become everything that God designed them to be. That's because of him and his significance. Uh, he is, you know, there's people in the world. I think there's like three categories of people, and we could subdivide these, but three categories of people, and one of those are people who don't really know about him, and there are people like that in our world. But then there's a huge amount of people who, like us, right, believe in him. And, and there's a whole lot of people who believe in him who really aren't Christians, but they believe in him, and their religious beliefs they have, they try to follow, uh, even if they aren't aligned with the Bible, so many people. And then there are those who oppose him. And he is opposed. In our world, he is absolutely opposed. He is like a lightning rod for so many things. And we could go on and list all the ways that his life was significant and how our lives and so many people's lives have been touched by him. Hugely significant. Now, in fact, let me say this. Jesus is the most significant person ever born. He's born at exactly the right time in exactly the right place for the Father to accomplish his eternal purposes through him. What God promised way back in the beginning, right? Boom. Now, there's another promise that God has made. First one, filled 2,000 years ago. Second one, He said, I'm coming again. Now, In fact, the promise, let's look in Acts chapter 2. The angels say it very clearly. The disciples are standing there watching Jesus ascend into heaven and leave. And the angel says, well, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He's coming back. Just you saw him literally leave and go to heaven, he's literally coming back. It's going to happen now. Let me think about this. As we think about this progression, God making this promise thousands of years ago and, and repeating the promise and elaborating on the promise and, and making the promises, and finally, is fulfilled. God says, Jesus is coming back. Based on what we've seen, do you have any reason to doubt that Jesus is coming back? We have no reason to doubt that he's coming back and the promises made and, and, and things we see that the, the, the scripture says and signs and, and, and we don't know when this is. It could be a long, long time. But I think there's plenty of hints in the scriptures that would make us think it's probably going to be sooner rather than later. Jesus is coming back. All right, so he came, came to earth, Christmas time, Everything we know that happened about, that lives a perfect, sinless life, dies on the cross, bearing the penalty for our sins, rises again from the dead, and, and did all that, and promises, I'm coming back, I'm coming back." So, so what are we supposed to be doing in the meantime? We're hanging out, right? Well, no, we, here, here's the answer. We know the answer. The answer is that. This is what God has given us to do to go and make disciples and to baptize them and teach them and, and teach them what, this is how we live. We surrender to the Lord. We grow to be like the Lord. We tell others about the Lord. And you go, yeah, yeah, Walt, I know. You tell us that like every week. <laughs> You're right. Uh, just about. But what I want to show you something today that I think is, is, is extremely significant and just might begin to change how you look at these things that we are supposed to be about. So let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. If you, if you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to, to pick one up under the chairs there. We're going to be on page 1277. The Apostle Paul... Uh, was by himself in the city of Athens, and Athens was like this cosmopolitan city. People came from everywhere to Athens. It was the intellectual and philosophical center of the world at this point in time. If you wanted to talk philosophy, if you wanted to talk uh, civil theory, if you wanted to talk about religion, uh, any of these things, Athens was a place to be, because they had every, like samples of just about everything. You could find someone there who would pretty much believe uh, whatever major beliefs were out in the world. And the Apostle Paul is going around looking at this uh, in the Oropagus, a place, a marketplace, but there were all of these shrines to the gods. I mean, you know, the Greeks had all sorts of different gods, right? Greek mythology, they had those gods. There were other gods from around the world that had shrines and altars to them. I mean, just everywhere, and, and so Paul sees this and he's just in turmoil because he knows the one true God. And all of these gods are false gods. And so he begins to talking to the people in the marketplace about this thing and, and trying to talk to them about this one who had come, Jesus. And, and it, it kind of creates a little bit of a, a, of a stir and uproar because this is new. How do you come up with something new in Athens? But he's talking about something new and different in Athens. And so they, they say, we wanna hear from you. And they, they call a meeting. For him to come and explain what it is he's trying to say. And so let's start here in chapter 17, in verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, Two. The unknown God. To the God we might have missed. Right? We have all of these gods, we're trying to cover all our bases, but what if we miss somebody? Well, let's put up an altar just in case. So if we find out that God, we say, oh, this was you. (laughs) All right? To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Yeah. It's it's so cool how God brought this together and how clear Paul saw it, right? Because what an opportunity. I know this one. This one you say you don't know, I know him. And all you gotta know about him because he's not like any of these other gods. And he says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. See, many of the gods that they would have worshiped, well, this was the god of this area of life, and this was the god of that area of life. You know, agriculture, uh, family, uh, whatever, all of these different gods that they had. And he's saying, this god that you don't know, he's above all of that. All of life comes from him. Everything comes from him. Verse 26, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord, in the hope that they might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Because so that's what they would have. They would have images, right, of their gods. And he says, we ought not to think that God is like that. He's not. Then he says this. He starts to turn the corner to Jesus. He says, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul's just getting started, but he gets stopped. (laughs) Verse 32, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. While others said, we will hear you again on this matter. Hmm, we're going to have to think about this. Uh, we'll, We'll get back with you about this. And so Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them, Dionysius the Oropa guide, a woman named and others with him. So some people, he was actually able to finish this conversation with them and they came to know the Lord as Savior. Amazing. This would be like, you know, one of us walking into Harvard University today and walking around and talking and all of a sudden say, we gotta hear from you. And so they call all the professors before you and you talk about this and you, you get to Jesus and they go, wow, well, this is nuts, crazy, you know, but some people got saved. Wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be exciting. That's kind of what this is like. All right. but I want you to see that Paul gets to the point, this idea he isn't specifically talking about the second coming but he is talking about the end times the end when Jesus is going to judge, okay? so he gets to that and that's sort of where we are, we're living in between that aren't we, the time of the coming and this final judgment the second coming of Christ tied in with that but here's what I want you to see and this is just so huge I, and I've, I've I think I've talked about it some before, but man, it just really hit me again this week. Let's go back to verse 26. It said, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. Okay, one race, human race, we're all over the earth, but get this. He has determined their pre-appointed times. That means... If you're alive today, who decided that? God did. For everybody in the world, wherever they are. If they're alive today, it's by God's design. His intentions, okay? Now, he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. He has determined where they live. And you can move, but God knows that, right? (laughs) They don't catch him by surprise, but the idea is, is here's the deal. This means that people are where they are at in this time of history, at the place they are, by God's working, that he's working in this. It's not just happenstance. What's he up to? Verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord. And we'll stop there. So they should seek the Lord. That means at this point in time in history, where we are, right, in our area, the people who are alive here are alive here at this time in this place so that they will seek the Lord. Well, what's up with that? Well, I don't know how all that works, but God does. That means there's something at this time in history, something in our culture, something in the people who are here, all of these kinds of things that will Draw people to seek the Lord, to seek Him. Now, how significant does this make you who know the Lord? How significant? I mean, first of all, we could say we are significant because for me, I was raised and lived in Missouri, Missouri at the crucial times in my life where God used things and events in my life, used a girlfriend, used other people to bring me to the point where I said, wait a minute, I gotta know about this. I gotta find out about this. He said, I gotta settle this issue in my life. I got saved. See, this is exactly what he was talking about. That's what he did for me. Wherever you were, he was working in your life and brought you those things, those people, and those circumstances, all of this, that you would would say, man, I need to know God. You know, you were were open, you were seeking. And and people can choose not to seek. Okay, that's, people can do that. But God says that it is sufficient where they are in this time in history and what's going on around them, I have put in place so that it is sufficient for them to seek me, to know me. All right, and so you're significant because of that, but what I want you to see, let me just, just say it like this. Like Jesus, you were born at exactly the right time in history, in exactly the right place for the Father to accomplish his eternal purposes through you. Let that settle in. Like Jesus, right? Was he born at a specific place, at a specific time in history for God to accomplish his eternal purposes through you? Well, this verse is right here. Tell me that the same for you and me. Now, we're not Jesus, right? And we aren't going to have the same kind of significant thing here. But I want you to know this one who is so significant, the, the, the one who's going forth from everlasting, this one who is God in human form, lives in you. And God has put you where you are at this time in history because he has eternal purposes to accomplish through you. It's not about somebody else. It's not just about hanging out. And it's not just about, oh, I gotta do that. I got yeah, I gotta try to live. No, all of a sudden, do you understand what this is? God has you where you are because he wants to use you. These people that he is working to draw to himself. And he wants to use you who know him to be available and ready and alert and reaching those people, and not just so that they get saved. No, we also want to help people after they come to know the Lord and help them to become followers of Christ. You know, we surrender the Lord, we grow to be like the Lord, we tell others about the Lord, and we help others do the same. You see, that's what we're about. It's no accident that you are where you are in your life today. And if you don't see that, what will you do? you'll bump along, you'll go with the flow. And there's times to go with the flow. But you understand what I mean? Life's just gonna happen to you. And you're just gonna hang out. But that's not what God wants from you. That's not what you were made for. That's not even where you will find your greatest fulfillment. It's in being that person that God has made you to be at this place and this time in the history of the world. You are so significant. Not apart from God. But in God's story, you are so significant. Can you let that... Well, I may be significant, but I'm a mess. Yeah. That's all right. So... Two things I want you to do as you leave here today. Two things. And the first one is this. I want you to ponder this thought. That that my life as a Christian is way more significant than I realized or remembered. Maybe you knew this. My life is way more significant. God has eternal things to do through me that only I can do at this place and this time in history. I'm the only one that He can use in certain... It's just... You are extremely, extremely significant. So over, you know, when you leave here today, and as you, you lay your head down tonight and you think about things before you fall asleep, as you get up tomorrow, Christmas Eve, and you know, Christmas Day with all the goings-on, friends, family, and we, what I'm just asking you to, make a decision now that when I have those moments of thinking, that I'm going to try to ponder, what does it mean? that I am this significant in what God is doing. Ponder that. Talk to God about it. God, I don't get it. Or maybe I am getting it. And talk with him about it. And then the second thing I want you to do is I want you to, if if it's at all within your power, I want you to commit to being here next Sunday. Because we're gonna talk about how do you fulfill your significant role, okay? Now, I, I hope you're encouraged by this. I know I was again. I was encouraged by it, and I'm scared by it. Because what does that really mean for me? Where I am, where I live, the people are around me. So I'm excited about it. And I think if you ponder it, you will be too. Maybe a little scared, but excited about it. So... Will you do those two things for me? Not for me, for yourself. For yourself. We're going to stop there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that you kept your promises and sent us a Savior. And I pray, Lord, if there are people here today who you know, maybe feel like they don't really understand that or they have questions about it, I pray you'd give them the freedom to ask us or at least they'd keep coming around to learn more. I pray for this, Lord, that they can understand that they can have a Savior who forgives every sin and gives them eternal life and changes their life in amazing ways. And I thank you, Father, that even though it seemed like such a long time as we look at over the years, thousands of years, but you did keep your promises, that you are going to keep your promise. Your son is returning. He absolutely is. It could be today. It could be a thousand years. We don't know, Lord but that you've given us something to do in the meantime, and it's not just busy work, Father. Help us to remember that. It's not busy work, it's not just something you're trying to get us to do, that we don't really wanna do that, but Lord, you you have put us in this place at this time in history to do something that will matter forever. As we go, Father, please, when we have those moments when we're able to, would you bring to mind this truth about the fact that we are more significant than we realized or remembered. Help us to ponder that. Give us some insight into it. And I pray, Father, that you will bring us back together next week. We can open your word and see what do we do about this. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Merry Christmas! Have a great time with your family and friends. Uh, if, if we'd love to see you tomorrow night at our candlelight service, have a great week.